I moved a lot during childhood. Maybe you had one of those childhoods too. And during those growing up years, I stepped into a lot of new worlds and a lot of new classrooms. And every time I stepped into a new world, a new classroom, or a new lunchroom, I always wondered the same thing. Will I belong? How will I belong? Do I belong? And sometimes this world in which we live can feel like a giant, big, chaotic school cafeteria at lunchtime where there are all these different tables and the sports kids are at one table and the drama kids at another and the music kids and the kids who get in trouble and the kids who never get in trouble, rich kids, poor kids, gay kids, straight kids, kids who eat special foods for safety's sake, kids from countless cultures and countries and systems of belief, and we're all in one room together for 45 minutes to eat. And I don't know about you, but maybe this was your experience too as a young person, that feeling when you first walk into the lunchroom and you're praying that you're going to see people you know, that there's going to be a, uh, a group that you can join, friends that you can sit with. And if you did find companions, that flood of relief when you slip onto the bench and know that this table holds a place for you. To this day, I remember moments of the opposite, moments of such fear and dread approaching PTSD levels, walking up to a table, and maybe even as an adult you've had this experience, walking up to a table with other people already talking and saying, may I join you? Maybe you don't believe me, but I was very shy as a child and sometimes new to a school, I couldn't face it at all. I couldn't go in that lunchroom. That gauntlet was too profound. So I would sneak into the library instead, find a carol and, and eat my little sandwich in quiet and safety, but loneliness too. A middle or a high school lunchroom can equal a nightmare of alienation loud, crowded, chaotic, and most of all, deeply divided. Have you encountered this kind of alienation and even rejection in the spaces and places of your own life, finding yourself cast aside, cast apart, these days, more than ever, we know about division as our country clashes with itself and with the world. Political differences seem to deepen vitriol increases. Political leaders who once prided themselves on bipartisanship now fear, fear it, and stick close to their own parties instead. Divisions deepen 
the adult world version of separate tables in the lunchroom. So how do we reconcile the ever more deeply divided world with the world that God imagines for us and that Jesus came to help us experience for ourselves. This morning, the passage that you just heard Mike read, it's, it's one of my favorites in the Bible, his too, as a matter of fact. It's from Acts of the Apostles. And this is from a time after Jesus lived and died and was resurrected and ascended. And, and, and now Peter and the other disciples are moving around trying to tell people what they know now about God and what they're continuing to learn. And, and it's a little involved, this story, but it's amazing. Here's the setup. Peter is an observant Jew, just like the rest of Jesus' disciples. There was no such thing as Christianity yet. It was just that some Jews followed the teachings of Jesus. And as a faithful Jewish man, Peter followed the purity codes laid out in Scripture, especially the book of Leviticus, which told you exactly what you were supposed to eat and not eat, dietary laws, and also with whom you could eat. And because of the purity code, Jews were expected to stay out of the homes of non-Jews, Gentiles, and expected not to eat with them. And if they did, they were considered contaminated, and so then they would have to go through elaborate purification rituals to become clean again. Now, Jesus broke a lot of those rules. He was often connecting with people from other faith traditions and healing the men and women that he met. But for his followers, having close contact with Gentiles still clashed with everything they'd been raised to believe. And we know how old habits die hard. But in today's passage, we hear Peter telling his colleagues in Jerusalem about how God changed all that. He tells the story of, of having gone into a, a trance. And in this trance, this dream, he sees a large sheet coming down from heaven. And looking at it closely, he sees four-footed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he hears a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. God is giving Peter permission to break the purity codes, to eat new things. But Peter says, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice from heaven answers him, What God has made clean you must not call profane. And this happens three times, that holy number three. Then the sheet is rolled back up into heaven and immediately three men, again three, arrive and invite Peter to Caesarea. We know now, of course, that something very important is happening. And meanwhile, in Caesarea, a Gentile man named Cornelius, a soldier, a Roman soldier, receives a visit from an angel who insists that he send for Peter. So these two men, <laughs> Peter the disciple, an observant Jew, and Cornelius, the Gentile Roman soldier are being magnetically drawn together by God. Peter arrives, enters Cornelius's house, and remembers his dream. What God has made clean, you must not call profane, and he eats with his new friends. 
at the Gentile table. He and Cornelius break through strict boundaries. Peter proceeds to tell Cornelius and, and every man, woman, and child in the, in the house about Jesus, what Jesus did, how he lived, how he died, how he rose again. And the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and his entire household, every man, woman, and child, and they come to believe. In this instant, Peter knows that they deserve baptism as much as he or any of his friends ever did. And so he baptizes the entire household on the spot, and this is a big, momentous step. It's a turning point moment in the history of faith. It's one of the reasons we're all here. This is when Jesus' followers opened themselves up to the wider world and the idea that everybody can have a place at the table. Peter's dream, Cornelius's angel, the Holy Spirit entering when Peter starts talking to the family, Peter feeling so moved by the Spirit that he baptizes the whole household, people so different breaking through boundaries and coming together in this story. What does it mean? It means that this is what God's dream for us looks like. Breaking boundaries. We glorify God by loving one another like the gospel passage this morning says. Meanwhile, there's more. Today's passage happening back in Jerusalem Members of Peter's group, men born Jewish or converted to Judaism through the ritual of circumcision and made officially Jewish, hear what happened in Caesarea, and they criticize him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Challenge him. And this challenge is what prompts Peter to tell them that whole long story that I just went over with you and that had just appeared in the previous chapter in Acts, culminating in the magnificent moment when every man, woman, and child in Cornelius' house receives baptism. And Peter's grumbling critics, hearing the story, are silenced for a minute. And then they praise God and say, well, then God has given, even to the Gentiles, the repentance that leads to life. That's right, this new life belongs to everybody. And this is exactly what Jesus says in the Gospel passage this morning. As I love you, you should love one another. People are going to know we love God by how well we love and include them. All others, not just some others, all others. That's the power of Peter's breakthrough. He realizes that nobody is an unclean other. No such thing. Cliques and clans and nations cease to matter in the grand scheme of things. No human form of discrimination can stand in the way of God's all-surpassing love. No one is outside the circle. 
And today is Peter's retelling of the story of his own transformed heart. The moment when his heart breaks open and he realizes, wait, you mean all these other people belong to and are loved by God as much as I'm loved by God? Yes. The way one writer puts it, we, generation by generation, are living in the midst of an ongoing cosmic experiment in how to love as Jesus did. And that means setting aside our ego's need for power and status and influence, all of our gossipy ways, as we move towards something richer and deeper, a table with a place everyone. We all face those, those lunchroom moments in our lives and in our world, and we know how hard they can be. When you walk into a huge space and gaze out at a sea of unfamiliar faces and you wonder, do I belong? Where do I belong? How do I belong? I think most of us know that feeling in one way or another. And some of you have been told that you don't belong because of race or, or, or gender, identity, or ethnicity, or social status, or a million other horrible reasons. And maybe you have been harmed by this wrong-headed, ungodlike exclusion. Maybe you've experienced cruelty and rejection. If you were excluded, that was not of God. You know, when you get right down to it, those lunchroom cliques back in middle school are born of fear. Other kids wondering, who will I sit with? Band together and, and start rejecting others so they can feel safe because they don't feel loved enough or safe enough themselves. And if we do think of our world as one big middle school lunchroom, then imagine now with me if Jesus walked into the room. What would he do? How would he feel? Where would he sit? If someone was bullied or ignored, how would he he respond. How would our lunchroom world be if we loved the way Jesus loves? Because those are his parting instructions to us. We hear it today. Love each other. He couldn't be plainer. Love each other the way I love you. Not love some people the way I love you, or love your favorite people the way I love you. Love each other. It's a blanket. And when we do, 
Life in the lunchroom starts to change. Boundaries start to dissolve. The, the Holy Spirit has space to move around and get to work. And, and, and by this opening up, by this loving, like Peter does in the story that he so proudly tells today, everyone will know that we are all loved. They'll see by how we love and how we make space for one and all that the love of Jesus lives on. Amen.